Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm Jody. And I'm James. And whenever five or six English-speaking people meet around the fire on Christmas Eve, they start telling each other ghost stories. Nothing satisfies us on Christmas Eve, but they hear each other tell authentic anecdotes about specters. It is genial. Festive <laughs> season, huh? And we love to muse upon graves and dead bodies and blood. Don't we do that like year-round? We do. We do do that year-round because fuck festivities. We get off on the macabre. <laughs> <laughs> and if that quote sounds familiar, it's because we've done this like every every year since we started, right? Is this? I think so, yeah. Yep. And I know I've given that quote at least three now, if not four times. Yeah. Also, I'm down with everybody who wants to get everybody involved with Christmas ghost stories at Christmas. Yes, because it's a tradition that we need to reinvigorate. Before I move further, I would like to say that that is from Jerome K. Jerome's book called Tales Told After Supper. And he's a humorist. And I'm fairly certain this quote actually makes a bit of fun about ghost stories. But you can tell he loves them. You can obviously tell that, uh, yeah, he he likes it, but also likes to make fun of it, which he would make a good person to do this podcast with us. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've got a few things about Christmas ghost stories, but I will say, so last year, Jody and I talked about possibly doing a story. And uh-huh. um, Jody's actually been doing some some very, so he actually has been writing more this year than I have because he started at the beginning doing that whole you know, write, write a story a week type of thing. And I, I don't know where he's at on it, but he did more than I did. I think I got about eight weeks into it. And then my cat died and that kind of threw me off for a while. And I just never got back into it. That makes sense. But that's yeah. that. Okay. So we're about even because the eight weeks you did that. I, I spent on this. We talked okay. about doing a ghost story <laughs> for Christmas and you still probably have me beat by two or three because I, but I, I did work on this for four or five months between laying down at night to sleep and thinking, you know, I can't sleep. Let me think about what story. And, you know, I would do that for a week and I'd write a bit. Then I thinking about how to write a story, put some motherfucker to sleep. <laughs> yeah. But I started writing and I just made a few changes. I wrote, made a few changes. And, 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 and I, I actually find that's when I come up with some of my best writing ideas is when I'm trying to go to sleep. The problem is I'm trying to go to sleep, so I don't want to get up and write them down. And that's just it. You have to remember what your ideas were in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, which never works for me, so I'm probably better off getting up and fucking write it. <laughs> well, I, I realized that if I have my phone near me, I can put on it. I set it up so I can do an audio note real quick. Oh, there you go. And then I mumble the audio quote. At least half of them come through in the morning. Sometimes it's like, hey, Jay, make sure you do my <laughs> But yeah, yeah, it's not bad. But anyway, this episode will probably be fairly long unless we split it up into multiple. Because... I did finish a ghost story for Christmas. You did. You did. Um, I've read it. Did you like it? I did like it. Yeah. What did you think about it? I thought it was one of the better ones you've written. Oh, thanks. Cool. Yeah. I was expecting you to just go, it's good. And and our (laughs) podcasting is good. Thanks. No, yeah, yeah. I I really enjoyed it. I did start writing and I I thought about it and I wrote and I thought about it and wrote and changed and changed and thought and wrote and things. But then I, I also looked up things. And so I, I have a few things to mention before we get to that. Mm-hmm. I try, you know, when I try to do things, I will listen to the experts, whatever that may mean. 
and they're, yeah. um, but, but you should, you should listen to experts yes. on, on whatever it is. So I've got some notes here about why I did things a certain way. And then, then uh, you'll just get to hear the recording of me doing the story. <laughs> cool. I, I found some basic guidelines and some aren't necessarily from groups. It's because for the past several years, I've read ghost stories for Christmas, you know, the, the stories and the intros where they, they wrote it because of this and Jody and I talking and episodes we've done in the past. But I, I did pull some things from essays and writers pages. And the first one is there should be a festive atmosphere. And so Jody actually read this, but I have added just a little bit more since then because I, I found a new essay literally in the past five days. But when you hear me do the intro and outro, the, the sun in the future is something Jody's not read, although I'll send it to him and he's probably have read it before this airs, but not as we record. And there should be a moral to it. And some people actually got upset even in Victorian times that Christmas ghost stories were suddenly becoming about the horror and not morality, which is okay with me, you know, totally yeah. down with the horror. But I, I had two different endings. Uh, one is the one you'll hear, the, the happier ending. Uh, it's kind of got family bonds and clanship and things. Mm -hmm. But I had a more horrific ending where the protagonist drowns in a vat. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then we see his son in the future going to the same outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I thought, you know, no, we'll, we'll go with them. You know, that, that helped clinch the, the ending I chose was the moral of family bonds and clanship and caring actually yeah. are a good thing. Yeah, I because um, you had asked me about that, and I haven't read your alternate ending, but I I think that's part of the reason why I liked the ending that you had originally written out. Oh, cool. Thanks. I, I actually haven't written fully the other ending. I had it sketched. I have a few notes, but I did not complete completely write it. Okay. Uh, one of the things is that it kind of takes place in a manor or an inn or, you know, what's not, but that mm -hmm. ghost stories do not happen in hovels. No. And there is a slight chance, and Jody may have picked up on this, that the place the person goes to, I capitalize manor quite a bit because fuck it, this is the macabre manor of mean metal of man. Yeah. <laughs> so I made sure to call it the manor instead of anything else. Cool. But it's a, but it's a nice big manor, you know. It, ghost stories are always more about the wealthy and rich getting spooked out because nobody in Victorian times gave a rat's ass about the poor other than Charles Dickens. Right. Uh, but they, they talk about games being played, you know? So I added, Jody's not seen this. I added a slight thing in the intro because he's not seen the intro about sardines, a type of hide and seek where you pile, you know, when you find the person you're looking for, instead of going found him, you actually pile into that room, you know, closet space behind the curtain, whatever you all <laughs> sardine in. Yeah. That is a Victorian game they would play. I don't know how easy that is to do with hoop skirts. I don't either, but I'm happy to find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, by uh, the way, I did read already this year the ghost story Smee, which is a Christmas Victorian ghost story for Christmas, and it's really good. And and Smee is similar to sardines, but it's different. It's good. It's good. You should read cool. it. It's very short or find a podcast that does it. That's about 30 minutes. It's good. Cool. They also mentioned traditions. And I added just one or two little lines, notes about traditions, nothing big. Mm -hmm. And I added one or two lines. I don't think I sent to Jody, but I will about the desolation of the British countryside 
to add just a bit of folk horror to it. Just a bit. Okay. But, but, but the, you know, I kind of, I tried to make it Victorian. Yeah, I, I thought you did a, a, a decent job of doing that, too. Well, thanks. Yeah, I had, to, I had to rewrite sentences a few times because I'm like, nope, that's modern. <laughs> 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 and I'm, I'm sure I, some of it... And, and, you know, I, I'm finding, because we, we, we did our episode on Halloween reads, and I was going to read those French stories, those French books, or at least the first one. And here we are, almost the middle of November, and I still haven't finished it because I gave up on it. <laughs> because, because it seemed like at, at that point in time, because it was, it was, I think, written in the Victorian era, because it was written, you know, like 1850s or whatever. So, so kind of around that time. There was a lot of, this is being serialized in a newspaper or a magazine, so we're going to pay by the word. So a lot of that stuff could get really wordy, needlessly wordy. So, you know, for the Halloween read, I actually gave up on the one I was trying to do. I did, I did do a Halloween read of a novel that was actually from Dungeons and Dragons. It was, it was uh, set in the Ravenloft setting. And oh, it was nice. About, yeah, it was about vampires, and it was really good. And it read a lot quicker because it wasn't as wordy. <laughs> yeah, I love Victorian writing but it has to be something that's accessible to a modern day person because if it's overly old school i'll pass yeah that's that's about all i had on that okay but i also have one that i'm going to read this year called silent companions by laura purcell which is a new book it's not victorian it's Mm -hmm. it's amazing i don't know what year it was but it's very 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 recent it seems very much like a christmas ghost story cool here we go uh yeah when elise married handsome young heir rupert bainbridge she believed she was destined for a life of luxury but pregnant and widowed just weeks after the wedding her servants grew resentful and the local villagers actively hostile and she hmm. thinks inside her home lies a locked door beyond a painted wooden figure and, and it's it even says a victorian ghost story that evokes a most unsettling kind of fear 2018 yeah, three years old. Okay. Going to be my ghost story for Christmas, Reed. Cool. I've got a bunch. Do you know what we've not mentioned this episode yet? Um, pickles. <laughs> pickles. <laughs> well, I'm not wrong. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not. <laughs> maybe, maybe a bit out there. <laughs> and all I could think of was Metal Apocalypse. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but but yes we have not mentioned pickles what beer are you having i i actually did manage to get this year's samuel adams holiday pack so i'm having the reunion ipa oh how holiday is it? happiness I mean, but this, no this yeah this reunion ipa is pretty good it's cool. um it's 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 hoppy but it's not so hoppy that you know it's holiday happiness Yay! I'm so happy. It's, it's literally what it says on the label. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got that box, and I'm going to. I was ecstatic to see old Fezziwig came back. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much why I bought it because if it hadn't had that, and was it Holiday Porter? I like them all. I like, I love yeah. Fezziwig. I like Holiday Porter. I love their uh, the the Winter Lager. I like them all, but I still actually have one Fezziwig from two years ago. When we know do that aged. <laughs> yeah, when we do another Christmas episode, that's what I'm going to have side by side with the new fizzy wig. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, do you want me to tell you mine? Yes, please. 
All right. So I, I, I can tell the listeners are just waiting with bated breath. They, the, ooh, oh, damn. Go brush your teeth. <laughs> oh, yes. I do realize the etymology of that does come not from bait as in worms. <laughs> However, I'd like to say, fuck you, philologists. <laughs> I was actually going to open up that Sam, Sam, that Sam, same holiday, yeah. the same Sam Adams holiday pack. But today I did find this year's Samuel Smith's winter welcome. You lucky bastard. Recognize. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, maybe that's what I'll go do later is look for that. <laughs> oh, you should, oh, it's good. It's, I mean, it's each year is very similar. It's nutty holiday spiced malty mm -hmm. deep it's a winter warmer warming beer that you could easily have when guests come over caroling and and stuff all right so hopefully you'll enjoy here is my ghost story for christmas haunted <laughs> cask haunted cask a ghost story for christmas the sound of merriment rang from the manor laughter and cries of delight as bodies piled out of the closet. A wonderful game of sardines, one young man exclaimed. The guests all stood, brushing their clothing. You certainly know how to celebrate Christmas Eve, Edward. Another young man, blonde hair hanging to his shoulders, smiled back. Thank you, Daniel. My family always enjoyed this time of year. I'm happy that I can continue the tradition with such good friends. Indeed, Daniel smiled always one for exclaiming a response when at all possible. And we appreciate you allowing us to bring guests of our own, a dark-haired young woman said. After hearing our talk of the festive atmosphere, and of course the first tapping of your family's Christmas sale, so many wanted to attend. It's my pleasure, Alana, Edward answered. Speaking of, Daniel's sly look hinted at his upcoming question, when are you bringing it out? For of course it is your company that we enjoy, but that ale is something of which to look forward all year. And such a name, Alana added. Is it a family name? Carrick's Christmas Ale. It sounds mysterious. Ah, now that, Alana, is a wonderfully frightful story that my father told me. I'm not sure it's meant for such a festive evening. Nonsense, Daniel Posh. It's Christmas Eve, the exact right time for such stories. Yes, Edward, Alana added her own exclamation. Please, do. To the course of many others, Edward consented, leading them into the parlor, where some could stand apart and talk on their own or play cards. He began his tale to those who wanted to listen. My father was born here, but grew up in London. When my granduncle passed away, my grandfather, having already been dead, that was when my father came back. This is the story as he would tell to me. The fog lay thick and heavy on the ground as Morgan, newly lord of Leffordshire, looked through the carriage windows. He had come to this desolate spot in the north of England, so close that you didn't know if the person you'd meet would be English or Scottish. With that in mind, and the desolate look of the wilderness around him, he was glad that he had left his wife and infant son at home, though he'd miss them for the holidays. It was a pity, as she especially would have loved the rugged, snow-strewn landscape this close to Christmas. He had been born here, though he remembered nothing, his father and mother had left when he was an infant. As his horses galloped along the rocky path, he would occasionally have a sense of apprehensive homecoming, feeling something familiar, but a familiarity wrapped in dread. He never had been told the full story of why his father, a younger brother to the recently deceased Lord Lefferchard, and mother had moved to London. 
Whispers were stopped if anyone sensed him near. He had met his uncle only once, a man both dour and wry, with what Morgan recalled having a dark sense of humor. He had enjoyed his uncle's visit and was disappointed to discover he wasn't allowed to visit, and nor would his uncle visit them again. Morgan had planned on making his own visit upon adulthood, but his parents in timely passing, three Christmas Eves ago, put the burden of responsibility upon his shoulders before he could taste true freedom. Then a year ago, his uncle's passing precluded any such visit from ever happening this side of the grave. He had only, in fact, been informed that he was the new Lord Leffordshire a few weeks ago. He had hoped to spend the holidays with his family, but his family solicitor stated in no uncertain terms that he must claim the title before the end of the year. A title he was also told that his cousin could not inherit being female. Now he was here, cantering into the largest village of the Shire that happened to be the one closest to his family's manor. There were no signs to announce it, just a sudden drop over a hill and the village appeared. Morgan had been assured it was a village. It looked more of a small hamlet to the London-raised young man, but the lights and chimney plumes he could see as they rode closer did assure him of a few dozen buildings. The carriage came to a stop outside the inn, announced by the stag's head sign swinging above the door. It looked to be a nice, solid building, so he hoped his room would be comfortable and there would be quality ale and food. His hopes of comfort were indeed fulfilled as he walked into the inn, the carriage driver helping him with his few items of luggage. A small exchange of coin thanked the driver, and as the man walked away, another walked up. May I help you, sir? inquired the man, a greasy apron hanging on his ample frame. Yes, replied Morgan. I have business here tomorrow and was hoping you could put me up for the night. You should have received some correspondence from my lawyer. The publican's eyes narrowed for a moment, followed by what Morgan thought was a look of pity, and a businesslike smile took over. You, sir, must be our new lord, the man said, Morgan noting the regional term. We do indeed have a room set aside for you, sir. Nice and cozy it is. I can have someone take your luggage up to it now. Will you be staying in the great room for supper or going straight up yourself? I did miss dinner, Morgan responded. I would very much like something to eat if you have it and would very much like something to sup as well. You're in for a treat then, the publican responded, finally introducing himself as Colm. After all, it is your family's own ale we have here at the Stag. So, his families were brewers. He had only known they were well off, enough so that he and his parents did not have to work. Why he was never told the family money came from a respectable calling was beyond him. I'm definitely looking forward to that, he smiled to the landlord. He took a seat and was soon treated to a small plate of venison and dark bread, along with the malty ale, blood red in appearance that had a sweet and floral aroma. And while he did enjoy his repast nearing its end, he began to look around his surroundings and was astonished to see the other patrons staring at him. Just as he thought it was awe, as he was their new lord, he noticed their features became sharper, their eyes bored into him, their sharp teeth showing through demonic grins. Shadows grew around the inn, closing in on him from all sides. Laughter, sharp and cutting, peeled through the inn, startling the young man, causing him to knock over his nearly empty pint. At that, the inn returned to normal. Nobody was staring at him. Nobody gave him more than a second glance, and even those were accompanied by a nod and smile. Deciding it was weariness from his long trip, he decided it was time for sleep. Starting for the stairs, a shadow fell across his path. In the shadows of a landing, an old woman stepped out, startling the young man. Her face was ashen and her figure frail. 
White hair flowed down around her head, creating a snowy curtain that cascaded around the pox face. Leave now, young lord of the manor, she whispered. Your time will come too soon, and your son will inherit the same fate. Before he could respond, another figure walked up. Come, mother, Combe said. I'm sorry, Master Morgan. My mother worked at the manor in her youth and tells tales of the place. Pay her no mind. Morgan watched as the two figures walked away, and he started to ascend the steps. He came to his room and was soon slumbering, deep and peacefully at first, although he woke several times in the earliest hours of the day. He could not recall what woke him, but he was cold with the night sweat and was sure something terrifying had been in his dreams. Partial images of his father and uncle and another dark figure that hovered nearby whose face could not be seen, it was hauntingly familiar. The sun was peeking through overcast skies, glinting through the frost-rhymed window with enough light to waken Morgan. He could hear the sounds of the end beneath him in the stable yard outside. Rubbing his eyes, he put on his overclothes, packed the few items he had removed from his valise, and walked down into the main room. Being greeted by Colm, he was given the message that a horse would be sent to him soon, so he waited near the fire where he was given a slab of cheese with bread, as well as a dram of whiskey, being told it's the best way to start a cold day. He had barely finished his breakfast when a shadow crossed and stopped on his table. You must be Cousin Morgan, a voice came from the shadow's body. Morgan looked up to see a thin woman, possibly his age, more than likely a bit older, staring down at him. I see you here to take my inheritance, he crossly intoned. I'm your cousin Heather. Morgan stammered, unaccustomed to being addressed this way, but was even at more of a loss when she started to laugh, her head thrown back, and her blonde hair, a family trait, flying around her face in a halo. I tease, she smiled warmly. I have no want to the manor or its spirits, both the drink and the foreboding gloom. I'll take my chair, the money, and trade you places. I've always wanted to see London. That is where you're from, yes? She continued, prompting him as he had yet to recover. Yes, he finally replied, getting his feet underneath him. He stood and smiled back wanly. From London. How long has it been since you rode a horse, London? They traded stories on the way to the manor, although it was mostly Heather that did the talking because Morgan would occasionally offer a reply, but as he was quite busy keeping his grunts of discomfort to a minimum, he was happy to let her chatter away. She spoke about the countryside, of which he knew little, their family, of which he knew less, and other businesses, including the brewery, of which he knew nothing. Her mannerisms were strange to him. They were both rougher as she told the story of how she'd been named after the local flora in which her parents conceived her one magical and port-filled evening, and more aristocratic. The locals knew her and deferred to her, and in turn she would call them by name and ask about their families while making it seem as though they should appreciate even a nod. You'll get used to it, she laughed, seeing his puzzled face. Just start imperious and then slowly become friendly. You can learn about them while making sure they know who you are. Thank you for the advice, Morgan said. Why they aren't allowing you to stay and take over is beyond me in this day and age, considering how well Queen Victoria is doing for Britain. Still, even if I must take over, are you sure you can't stay on for a while? You can teach me what I need to know, and my wife would dearly love a friend. She was quiet for a moment, and he feared he'd overstepped some bounds. 
No, she finally answered. Things are different in the countryside than in London. The people love and fear me, but they would never allow a woman to run the manor. As to staying, she trailed off, and for the first time he saw her mood darken. I cannot. There are things about the manor that I do not care for, love it as I do. I'm hoping that new family blood will make it a happier and cleaner place. When pressed, she refused to answer. Rather, she would deflect Morgan's questions with more detailed information about the manor and how to run it. Realizing he would get no more from her on this, he satisfied himself that he was learning what was necessary for his own fortunes. The manor was several miles from the village, and though the road was all kept, that was many miles more than Morgan's body was used to on a horse. He was relieved to see it appear as they crested a small hillock. He gasped, causing Heather to smile broadly. Visions of a cup of tea on a cushioned seat were forgotten when it came into view. It was a large and imposing structure. He had seen grander buildings in the city, but there's something about a lone dwelling in the countryside, especially when it is as wonderful as this. Two stories tall with two long wings. He also knew there was a cellar underneath the east wing where the brewing was done. He gasped, causing Heather to smile broadly. I've lived here my entire life, and coming over this ridge never fails to take my breath away either. I hope you'll always feel this way as you arrive home. They rode to the front, where several staff awaited them. Helped down from the horse, Morgan was introduced to his new servants. Told his belongings would be taken to his room, he was led through the foyer and into the parlor. Here too, he was impressed. He was unsure of what to expect, but this was a more glamorous house than his family's in London. He looked around in slight awe as he was brought tea and some biscuits. Heather excused herself and left him to explore the room. She came back as he was finishing his afternoon break. Come, she said, I'll show you the house. It was large, with a multitude of rooms. A rather large library caught his attention for exploration as soon as possible, but all of it was on a scale he couldn't believe. I have one more place to show you if you have the energy. I have saved the best for last. He nodded, following her down the east hallway and then down the stone stairwell where unfamiliar sounds and scents wafted up. It's not the only way in, of course, she told him. There are obviously large doors that go directly outside, but down this way is... Again, she trailed off. A habit of hers, Morgan assumed. When they came to the bottom of the stairs, he realized the sounds were beer being brewed with the scents arising from the various ingredients. I do most of the brewing, she told him, showing him around the tons and casks. Although it seems to be a sin that a woman should oversee such a business, we do make the best drafts. I do have a villager help on occasion, John Green, although that is mostly in the spring and summer. He won't work here in the winter. That works well as it keeps her family's Christmas ale recipe out of anyone else's hands. You've had two hard days of travel, she continued. Perhaps you'd like something to aid in your recovery? Of course, Morgan answered. She was gone for only a few moments, arriving back with two mugs. Handing one to Morgan, she gave a small salute with her own and took her first sip. He followed suit, enjoying the heady delight of a warmly spiced ale. The drink was nectar to Morgan. He had never tasted anything so deep, rich, and wholesome. It was also extraordinarily strong, much stronger than any other ale he had ever imbibed. It went immediately to his head. His vision darkened, and his mood went from ebullient to somber within seconds. His cousin's good-natured laugh became a hideous cackle, her tawny hair turning a dripping, mismatic green. She turned her evil visages upon him and crept closer. 
A slight, whimpering scream escaped his lips as he stumbled, falling upon his back. She reached for him, long, black fingernails grasping for purchase to rend his flesh. His vision dimming, a muffled scream issuing forth, and he saw a dark shadow rise in the air behind Heather. Then he knew nothing. His eyes opened, slightly at first and then wide in horror at the memory of the occurrence in the cellar. He bolted up and collapsed back down, discovering he'd been put to bed. I'm glad to see you're awake, cousin, Heather's voice came through a thick fog in his brain. I was worried. I assumed the drink would not have such an effect upon you. Perhaps your weaker London nails have led astray all these years. Morgan opened his eyes again, peering through tiny slits to see Heather sitting in a chair next to the bed, smiling brightly. The morning sun was shining through the eastern window, indicating he had been out for the entire night. It wasn't the drink, he retorted, glad to see her normal face and not the monstrous thing it had become. Unless you were intending on poisoning me. Whatever do you mean? True concern adding Tambler to her voice. Morgan explained the events as he saw them, waking up as he did so. He worried that she would scoff, but instead her face grew thoughtful and her lips were pursed. I'm sorry, cousin, she said once he had finished. I was hoping the curse would leave with me. It seems as though Uncle Edward also was involved, and has passed a share of the curse down to you, him being your father. Curse? Morgan asked. I find it more likely that the drink was bad. You can trust my brewing skills and my cleanliness. No, no. No, there's something else which has obviously been hidden from you. You don't know about our Uncle Carrick, then, do you? Although he took it to be rhetorical, Morgan still shook his head. A tale best told in the bright sunlight. Can you stand? Morgan tenderly rose out of the bed and found his strength and body whole. The terror of the previous night was indeed evaporating as the sun's rays filled the room. They walked downstairs and into the kitchen where Heather requested something small for them to eat from the kitchen staff. She then led Morgan to a sunroom filled with light and warmth even in the late days of December. They sat in silence for a while, enjoying tea and toast. As they finished their breakfast, Heather turned to him and spoke softly. Most of this I found out from my mother when I was much younger before she passed away. Father didn't like to discuss it, but she felt I should know. Our fathers had a younger brother. Though the older two were close, born just a couple years apart, youngest joined the family much later. By this time, our fathers were fast friends, and they did not always enjoy having a younger sibling following them. He was as adventurous as his older brothers, but not as hale and more bookish. It may have been well then that Uncle Carrick discovered his knack for brewing when he became a young man. That left the other two, our fathers, to their devices, and he learned the family trade. From what I understand, he was quite the brewer. Mother had become part of the family during this time, and she said his recipes were quite wonderful. Everyone especially enjoyed his Yule beer, supping it as they would sit around the Christmas fire. Even Grandfather, who identified with the older two sons, spoke highly of its quality. She would occasionally pause, but Morgan stayed silent, both to give her time to collect her thoughts on the story and to process it himself. A few years after I was born, she continued, about the time your parents married, really, 
It's when the accident occurred. Nobody knows what happened, or, or at least I should say, nobody will admit to knowing. It was Christmas Eve and Uncle Carrick was in the cellar. They assumed he was getting ready to bring a special Christmas ale up to the family. Grandfather and grandmother were still alive, and my parents and your parents were here, along with a few family friends. All were involved in their own merrymaking, some enjoying a whiskey as an ale aperitif, others were in the parlor playing yes and no. Mother told me that grandfather was walking the grounds, deep as it was with snow, and more coming down, but it was his way to walk, regardless of the weather. After some time, it was realized that Uncle Carrick had not brought up the ale, so a few went down to the cellar. Another slight pause. Morgan suspecting more for effect this time, rather than to collect her thoughts. Uncle Carrick was dead. He was found in one of the vats drowned. Rather than cheer and joy stemming from his special ale, it was the cause of his death. Heather stopped and stared out of the windows. Morgan was jerked out of the moment and was shocked to see such a bright sun streaming through the window. He was so involved in the story that it had become nighttime in his imagination. After long enough silence, he spoke. You mentioned the curse. Surely our uncle passing away in such a manner is a tragedy, but that's no cause to make it supernatural. True, Heather agreed. But every Christmas tide, starting around a week before Christmas Day, odd things happen here at the manor. Mirrors break. Noises occur in the night that no one can explain. We've had a maid die falling down the stairs to the cellar. Some staff have quit rather than go down into the brewing area, insisting they are followed by a presence. Every day gets more intense until finally Christmas Eve. On that night, loud crashes are heard in the cellar. Injuries and accidents occur more often to anyone in the dwelling. Our grandmother passed away within a year of her uncle's death, although from my understanding she was never healthy. However, grandfather passed away on Christmas Eve two years after. My mother a few years ago in midwinter. My father passed away last year on the 24th. When did your parents? The same, Morgan uttered. Yes, she replied softly. I know. We all hoped the move to London would help, but perhaps... Well, never mind. Some things should never be told on days like today, even in the daylight. Days like today, Morgan queried. It's the 24th of December, she replied. Days passed quickly at the ending of the year, but to Morgan, this one seemed to crawl for the first half of the day, yet sped along at a hair's pace once the sun passed its zenith. He sorely missed his wife and son, wishing to be with them on the eve of Christmas. But as night came on, he was glad they were safe in London. At least he did have some family, although the story his cousin shared had cast a pall on all festivities. Once their evening meal had been prepared, the servants were allowed to leave early, to be with their loved ones, allowing he and Heather to celebrate as a family as best they could. They sat together in the study, a fire roaring in its place. They had exhausted all small talk and now sat in comfortable silence, each with the mug of smoking Archbishop. Fortified claret made the drink stronger than the smoking Bishop Morgan would have had at home, but Heather assured him it was the Northern way. Much to Heather's surprise, as she had commented earlier, and to Morgan's relief, the manor is quiet. Typical noises made on Christmas Eve had not made an aural appearance. The clock on the mantel struck the hour with nine chimes. Heather sat her mug down and stood. 
Well, cousin, perhaps all will be well for you. Everything is quiet and peaceful. It's nearly time for me to retire, but it is Christmas Eve, and it seems silly indeed to not enjoy our family tradition of our annual Christmas ale. I shall fetch us some. She turned, turning down Morgan's offer to go. It was, she told him, still her manner for a short time longer, and as the host and the only one of them who really knew where anything was in the cellar, it was her duty to bring up a firkin of that fine, dark ale. Morgan was unsure of how much time had passed. The drink, fire, and coziness of the room had nearly lulled him to sleep. He was jarred by a sudden loud crash and a scream. Bolting out of the chair, he ran into the hall and to the cellar door. The noise increased, with loud thumping sounds coming from below. If his cousin had not shrieked again at that very moment, he would have fled the house in fear. Knowing she was in danger, however, fortified his resolve and he dashed down the stairs. The sight that he beheld as he got to the bottom nearly caused him to pass out in fright. Pottery, casks, and glasses had been strewn about the place, shattered and broken. His cousin curled up against an unbroken cask, her hands in front of her face, eyes wide open, her mouth open in a hoarse scream. For in front of her, floating just above the floor, was the spectral image of a man. Blackened water seemed to drip from its pale clothing and from its ragged hair. It sensed Morgan's presence in turn, and though all else seemed to be waterlogged, its eyes were fiery orbs, flaming garnets whose brilliance nearly blinded Morgan, causing him to look upon the thing from behind his hand. He could see his cousin collapse lifeless, then the thing shrieked and flew towards Morgan, stopping in front of him. And while the ghostly dripping face was a horror to behold, Morgan spotted the family resemblance. It was too near his father's own visage to mistake it. Here was the very ghost of his uncle Carrick. Stop! Morgan shouted. Do not do this, I beseech thee. I am your nephew. She your niece. Why would you harm your family? The apparition hesitated and pulled back, its face a rictus of fury. Family. Why do I care about family? It saw Boltrow voice and tone. It was family who did this to me. Pushing me into a vat of ale and laughing as I drowned. It neared Morgan again, coming close enough to Morgan that he could see through his uncle's vision. Its face contorted in anger. Lips were pulled back, showing more teeth than Morgan wanted. Its face becoming skull-like. And not just my family, nephew. It shrieked. Your father, her father, my brothers did this to me. My own brothers! My father, stammered Morgan, thoughts of a pleasant childhood prating through his mind. Surely, surely not. The thing reached a claw hand out to Morgan, who could feel its cold, clammy touch on his neck. Softly at first, like a gentle wind, but its grasp soon began to solidify, and he could feel it closing about his throat. The liquid dripping from the spectral form began to patter against Morgan, who realized it was dark, not because it was water. It was the ale in which he died. Oh, but yes, nephew, and not just killed me but left my bones to rot here in the cellar. Rather than burying me as they should have, they kicked my body to the grunt where it still lies. Morgan choked, trying to calm the thing to no avail. The grip was tight with the icy, freezing touch of the grave. They thought father was going to hand the business to me, 
as I was the only one who showed an interest, as if the old man would have done that for me, for them. Here my spirit has stayed to suffer through much of the year, until it nears the anniversary of my death, a time that I can take my revenge. And while I could not get any of them to join me down here, I made sure all were punished that I could reach. All except your father who moved like a coward. But you're here now, Neville. You the first to break my luck and speak to me. When all others quailed, you can join me here in eternity. Morgan's eyes began to dim. He was losing consciousness. The wild thought appeared just before he could think of no more. Let me help, sped out Morgan, using the last of his breath. I, I can give you peace. The specter paused, the hold slackened. Morgan could feel its presence move slightly away. What can you do? The question. What can you do about which I would care? I can, I can bury your bones, Morgan gasped, trying to draw breath, but not daring to pause. I, I can give you, I can find you. I can find you and give you a proper burial. I can do the proper family ceremony that my father and uncle, <coughs> that they could not. Yes. The thing floated closer, its face inches from Morgan's, its transparent flesh alternating between rotten and wholesome. Y- yes, yes, Morgan nodded emphatically, drawing another inspiration at the sight of the dripping form. And I can make sure that others hear of your ale. It doesn't just have to be for the family. It can be for the villagers as well. You, you. You you can make the village famous. People would come from miles around to try to try Carrick's Christmas Ale. The ghost moved back, calming down. As it did so, it looked more human. The frightening image then, replaced by a man who looked remarkably like his father, and Morgan couldn't help but notice, even more like himself. Yes. The thing smiled, still a rather frightening aspect. My darling, Morgan leaned over to kiss his wife's forehead. I'll be back soon. It's time for me to get this year's firkin. I'll be fine, she smiled up at her husband. Heather and I will be here when you return. As Morgan walked into the hall, smiling as he heard his wife and sister share a laugh, a shadow appeared on the stairs going up to the second floor. Morgan glanced up and smiled. I thought you would be asleep by now, he spoke. No, father, of course not, came a young man's response. You told me last year that I could come and help bring up the ale on the following Christmas. That's this Christmas. Well then, come down from there. The young man followed his father down the hall into the cellar door, opening it and descending the stairs. You also said that you'd tell me why it's called the Ghost of Carrick's Christmas Ale. Morgan smiled. You'll find out once we're in the cellar. There's one brewer you have yet to meet. Really, father? How so? After all, I met John. This one comes around to only help once a year, around this time. Which reminds me, young Edward, I also need to show you a cast that must never be opened or moved. The revelers had stopped reveling as the story progressed. They'd become enraptured and were hanging on to every word. It took a few moments to realize the story had ended. Excellent story, Edward, Daniel exclaimed. Just fantastic. 
The other guests clapped and laughed as the horror at the end had turned into familial happiness and the laughter and clapping erased the last of the fright. How much of that is true, Alana asked, especially at the end. Did you meet the ghost? Come now, a voice said from the doorway. Enough of that talk, Edward, or you'll scare our guests away. We don't want you giving away family secrets. Of course, Aunt Heather, Edward laughed. Besides, she responded, it is time for us to open this year's casks of carrots and for the celebration to continue. More laughter and applause erupted from the partygoers and in the excitement to have the region's most famed ale, all missed a sly wink his aunt gave it. Hope you liked it. Yeah, I did. Thanks. I actually, I actually spent time. Else, but... <laughs> Honestly, some of the things I write, I only do one or two takes on, which is probably why they're not the best. And this one is better because even though what I sent you may have said version one or two, it mm -hmm. was final versions one or two, not <laughs> not draft. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> Now, yeah, I, and, and I asked Jody this too. I alternated between thinking first person, second person, like, do I want to make it instead of saying Morgan did this or I did this? And I went with, say, you know, the, the outside view, but I was really mm -hmm. close to the first. And I think if I would have went I, with the more horrific ending, I would have, the first person would have been better. I agree. Yeah. I think first person would have worked either way, but I, with the ending, the happier ending, I think the third person works better. I think third, not second. I said second, but you're right, third. Yeah. Second's weird. I've yeah, second person writing is weird. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't try it. Oh my good man. Do you have anything to add? Not really. All right then. I I don't know where this will go in our Christmas spectacular crimbo Yule tide seasonal stuff. It'll go somewhere though. Somewhere. So hopefully you've had a good yule season or you will have a good yule season <laughs> <laughs> but until next time i'm james i'm jody and we in the victorian voice are amused and shall talk to you later bye i guess the macabre manor is brought to you by the twin terrors all rights reserved stay tuned for some fun outtakes i am going to set this aside so i'm not munching on it I say as I put some in my mouth to munch on it. <laughs> Things. Bing. Bitter like our souls. More bitter than our souls. <laughs> oh, damn. Shit, that's bitter. <laughs> Here is my Christmas ghost story for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta stop saying Christmas first. Charlie Brown Thanksgiving to give you a clue as to when we recorded this. <laughs> <laughs> And also why I sound slightly tanked now and probably didn't while I recorded the story. <laughs> Guinness number one. I can hear you, come Fandango. Guinness number two. We got to keep the pipes clean. Yes, full pint. Full pint, my precious. It's ours, our precious. Our full pints of Guinnesses. And to get into that finely revelry mood for the last bit, apple brandy. Oh, sweet baby Loki, yes.